0: How about your next patient? Our next patient is a 54-year-old male who was having some symptoms, I think, longer than he really admits to, but presented almost around a year ago with 50-pound weight loss and worsening shortness of breath that had really become so severe that he had to present to the emergency room. He was found to have a complete whiteout of his right lung on presentation. And a CT scan revealed a large right hilar mass, a very large right pleural effusion, And also was found to have multiple filling defects in the left lung consistent with the pulmonary embolus. So at that time, obviously, he was admitted to the hospital, had his pleural effusion addressed with thoracentesis, was placed on anticoagulation, was felt to also have a post-obstructive pneumonia, was put on antibiotics. And then radiation oncology was consulted to try to see if there can be any way of possibly opening up his airways since the patient had had a bronchoscopy that did show an extrinsic compression on the main stem bronchus, right main stem bronchus. What was the tissue? The tissue diagnosis came back as squamous cell carcinoma from the bronchoscopy diagnostic biopsy. What was his life situation? He sounds like he presented with a really advanced disease. This is very interesting. This is a gentleman who is originally from Nigeria, whose immediate family does not live here lives in Nigeria. He has a brother and a sister who he doesn't really see them much. He lives with a friend who he told us today also herself has breast cancer. Doesn't really have a good social support, really has no insurance coverage, requires assistance in transportation. And back then, obviously, was very sick. Had he been working? He was working as a security officer. Hmm. and he's not been able to work. He's obviously been on disability since his diagnosis.
1: So how would you have been thinking through his situation and that desperate situation, Vince?
2: Well, I think when somebody walks in the door like that, uh, probably social stuff might recede a little bit. I think now that he's doing a little bit better, it's more germane because he sort of feels in limbo. He's not great, but he's certainly a heck of a lot better than he was at presentation. I think at presentation, the issue was draining the effusion, And the procedure for that, in part, depended on whether we thought the lung would re-expand or not. He had a largely collapsed lung. It might be that someone like this would go home with a Clorex catheter or maybe wouldn't even be drained. I think sometimes we try and see if it looks like the lung's coming up. And then after that, I think the thought to seeing whether he could be stented on bronchoscopy, I know the lesion was extrinsic, but sometimes if it's proximal, you can get a stent in there or alternatively, whether a couple of fractions of radiation would help expand that lung was a reasonable one, particularly since he didn't have a huge burden of disease elsewhere at that time. He didn't have multiple liver meds or things that might really mandate trying some chemo, even though his performance status was marginal. And then when he comes back to clinic, you want to see where he settles and what his functional status is and weigh into account a bunch of things as far as how readily he can get to the hospital, who's going to call Dr. Mudad if the patient is uh, horribly dyspneic at home or has a fever, who's going to get him to the hospital, and all those sorts of things that aren't right on the top of the textbook come into
0: play in decision-making. So what happened? So he was given initially two hypofractionated doses of radiation in order to maybe quickly treat him and open his airways up. Did not really help. He had a prolonged hospitalization, but once he became clinically more stable with his breathing was better, his pneumonia was improved. We've decided to treat him with concomitant chemoradiation, but with weekly chemotherapy, because I did not think that he could tolerate full-dose chemotherapy. So he had a full six to seven weeks of radiation with weekly carbo and taxol. He tolerated that well, eventually was discharged on oxygen, was very short of breath, continued to be short of breath at that time, and then returned to clinic for follow-up after finishing his treatment, his next evaluation with a CT scan, which was about a couple of months after finishing treatment, showed diffuse metastatic disease in the bones. He was not symptomatic from <coughs> the bone, but his performance status still was not really up to par in terms of somebody tolerating chemotherapy. So I waited a little bit on him, especially because he was asymptomatic. And after a few weeks, his performance status improved and then decided to treat him now with systemic chemotherapy. Being somebody with squamous cell carcinoma, obviously, I decided against using bevacizumab, and he was my first patient. I decided to try a regimen containing cetuximab. Personally, not being a big cisplatin, albine advocate because of the toxicity, especially in stage four disease, I've offered him carboplatin, docetaxel, and cetoximab. He tolerated treatment actually very well, and after two cycles on PET scan, he has a very good response. Hmm. He had shown on another CT scan before we started, development of liver lesions, and those have actually responded to chemotherapy with cetoximab. And there was stability of the bone lesions, and he did not have any significant or noticeable side effects from cetoximab. So... No skin problems? uh, Very minimal, very minimal, just comprised of some dryness of the skin on the face, but no full-blown rash. So he completed the six cycles just finished six cycles of carbodocetaxel cetoximab and is now starting on weekly cetoximab as maintenance.
1: Wow. Vince, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, this was a pretty interesting response. You know, I think he'd previously not had an impressive result with carboplatin paclitaxel, and now we gave him carbo Q3 weeks with docetaxel. We know there is a real response rate in patients treated with dose of who had stable or progressive disease and paclitaxel. So that's plausible. Or the other possibility is, of course, that the Erbitux, which has occasional single agent responses and does add to chemo, at least in the first line setting, somehow imparted this good result in this gentleman.
1: Are you using any tissue biomarkers to decide whether or not to use the cetuximab? Well,
2: I think that the data is, to date, the limited data that we have from BMS-99 does not suggest there's a biomarker for cetuximab efficacy or resistance. I'm not convinced that we have enough patients, say, with KRAS mutations versus not, or those with certain patterns of ligand expression to say there's not a biomarker. In fact, I think it would help the drug's development if we did come up with either a negative or positive predictor for benefit.
1: Now they were going to look at KRS for the FLEX trial, but I don't... Have you seen that? I
2: think it's going to be presented at ASCO. Yeah, that would
1: be my hope. Right. But originally on that FLEX trial, they did, I guess, require, what, IHC? Mm-hmm. And do you do that yourself? Because I guess 85% of the patients were positive.
2: Yeah, I think there are other discriminators between FLEX and BMS99 that you know might have explained different outcomes, one simply being sample size, that the magnitude of benefit was similar, but the FLEX trial was twice as big. And it's hard for me to fathom how that IHC test could really separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. So we as a group are not doing the IHC presently, and nor has it been asked for providers in whom we've attempted to obtain approval.
1: You know, it's so difficult when you see trial results like FLEX where the overall benefit in the study was pretty modest, but then you always wonder, well, are there people within that who are really benefiting? Anecdotally, this story sounds interesting in terms of maybe that it is related to the cetoximab in his case. Yeah,
2: that's exactly my thought. This was really, as we went through the case and I heard what he got second line, I was I thought I wasn't going to hear a good turn of events, but I was pleasantly
1: surprised to hear the response. What was he like to talk to? What's his situation? Yeah, I think
2: this poor guy was sort of struggling. One of the things that happens with our patients is they, assuming they come in with a symptomatic burden of lung cancer and you get them somewhat better, still have a group of symptoms and they're still getting active treatment and the ones who are savvy know that the other shoe could fall at any time. So he was sort of in limbo. You know, He was asking when he's going to feel better. And I think Raj said, well, you certainly would agree you feel a heck of a lot better than when you started. And he said, yes. And he also, and I'm sure many times we tell our patients this, but nobody wants to hear it, is told treatment's going to be part of your life, at least on and off, forever. That's just something very, very hard for patients to grapple with.
1: What do you know about combining EGF strategies? You know, for example, using an EGF RTKI like Erlotinib plus an antibody like Cetuximab.
2: When's this tape coming out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) After ASCO.
2: Okay. So there have been some pilot trials trying to develop a dose and schedule. There was one done in ECOG. So you can give the drugs together. We've developed a trial that Greg Riley leads at Memorial where we take patients who are initially sensitive to erlotinib, what we call the acquired resistance population, and we add in cetuximab at time of progression. And we are going on to the phase two portion of that. We've got a dose and schedule, and you can give 100 milligrams of Rolotinib with Cetuximab, 500 milligrams per meter squared every two weeks. As you may know, acquired resistance has been a tough nut to crack to date, but we have seen some real biologic activity with the combination. Hmm. So we're intrigued by that.
1: Interesting. I mean, again, you never want to make any judgments off one case, but I mean, you've seen people who are progressing on Rolotinib. And yeah, went,
2: absolutely. And, and we, even have, we even have a room. response with T790M. Right. so it would make sense that the orlotinib alone wasn't working anymore we added in the cetuximab and they had a response
1: hmm. Wow.
2: So that's really, it was very intriguing because, you know, a bunch of drugs have not worked out well and that
1: population. Right. I guess the T790M is the resistance yeah, mutation. Yeah, it's analogous
2: to the gatekeeper mutation they talk about in PCR-ABLE-CML.
1: And they're like TKIs that are supposed to target yeah, that? Yeah, but they
2: haven't really worked well today. Right, right. And so that's why s- this is a really pleasant surprise.
1: Interesting. I guess that's, you never can figure out what's horizontal and vertical targeting, but at least, Well,
2: know. I think the idea is that even in patients with EGFR mutations, the signaling can be further augmented by ligand presence and activation. Hmm. And so deprivation of ligand or preventing ligand access to receptor may turn off part of the signaling cascade.
1: Any speculations about what you might see in this patient if you were to study his tissue?
2: Well, this it's a squamous cell carcinoma of the lung, so we could be pretty confident he didn't have a KRAS mutation. You know, the chance of that would be pretty small. It wouldn't be zero, but it'd be pretty small. It's also unlikely at an EGF receptor mutation. I would say the caveat might be, and we spent a lot of time talking about histology today and pathology of lung cancers, and Raj is actually setting up a meeting with the pathologist there to coordinate some of these and you know, really update him on some of the issues and dilemmas we face. One of the questions would be, is this a squamous cell carcinoma? Because there's about a 20% inter-observer variability in the interpretation of these things. I have no reason to believe it wasn't, but that's certainly something that's
1: always on my mind. You're saying it's squamous, That's really adeno? Adeno, or yeah, yeah. Really?
2: Yeah. Oh, the interobserver concordance, especially on small biopsies, transbronchial biopsies or cytologic specimens, is not spectacular. Hmm. And there's mixed tumors, too.
1: Right.